You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Oh, hi. Welcome to That's Deep, Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. You know, I don't appreciate all the F words before the the show begins. What's up with that? (laughs) I love when adults get upset about uh, the F word. That's my favorite. I think the assumption is that you're not a good person um, if you curse. And that somehow you're a better person uh, if you don't. Which is just absurd. In my experience, it's always been the people who uh, try to repress those those dark impulses to curse and to uh, do bad things like uh, sex and booze and whatever those are the those are the people you got to worry about the ones that don't embrace the dark side of the force because believe me uh, that dark side of the force has to come out somewhere and usually it takes place in a men's bathroom stall somewhere um, usually after that preacher is like condemned gay people and then they go and do a bunch of meth and like blow dudes in a bathroom stall but they don't curse so they're good people right they don't I don't curse Anyways, uh, stand-up dates March, I don't know, February 23rd, Calusa Casino, that's this week, and then March 30th and 31st, Portland, Oregon at Helium Comedy Club. Tickets are going really fast for that one, so I, I highly recommend getting them now because they, they're moving, bros. Uh, I'm going to be adding SF pretty soon, and I can't, I can't officially announce, but uh, it's coming. It's all coming. It's, it's, you know, we got schedule issues. Tom's doing something. We're all doing stuff. Anyways, uh, Amazon banner, if you're doing your shopping, you know, you can use my website, dustybropodcast.com, and I think that's it. All right, let's get this party started. It is uh, 48 whole degrees in Los Angeles today, and I'm feeling very gothy. I'm actually wearing a layer, of course, a black one. So let's party with some fucking Bauhaus, y'all. Oh, shit. Uh Uh-oh.
love Peter Murphy so much. <sighs> Anyways, I uh, recently discovered the cholo goth movement. Now, I know you're saying, but Christina, I mean, aren't all those dudes that listen to Morrissey, like, aren't they cholo goths? And yeah, I always thought so. There's, for those of you who don't know, I mean, at least in Los Angeles, the uh, there's a tremendous population of like of like Mexican dudes and girls who love Morrissey. And it's, I don't know why it's the, it just seems culturally like, wait, what, what is this phenomenon? And there's like Morrissey cover, um, artists who just cater specifically to like Latino audiences. And it's so, it's just a movement. It's always existed in LA. And, um, now there's this thing called Cholo Goth. I guess it's been it's been labeled Cholo Goth. But again, like I said, I think this is kind of an LA thing forever. And I recently discovered this guy named Prayers. Um, it's a kind of embarrassing story, but I follow Kat Von D. Hello on Instagram, as I do everybody. And I love Kat. I love Kat Von D. Come on. She's also uh, born in Mexico, but an Angelino. So I just, I love her. And, uh, you know, tatted up chicks, fucking self-starter uh, self-made broad. I, of course I love her. And so she's dating this guy prayers who's got really long goth black nails and they, he files them, um, into points, which I know is like the look now the kids are doing that. But, um, but I always think like, how does he, how, you know, when they get romanticals, like romantic times and he's got his hands, you know what I'm saying? And there, how does that work out for cat? Like, is she, Hey, sweetie, no, Whoa, you got it. Ow! Because that's not, it's not, it's just not conducive to, I mean, I know this because I had goth boyfriends in high school and in college, sadly. And, and I feel like that was always an issue. So anyways, I found prayers and uh, he's on, he's on YouTube. I won't, I won't torture you uh, with the music. I just, it's very subjective. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of here. I'll do it and I'll play it under this a little bit. I'm a little, I mean, look, it's, this is just standard industrial. And he's like a cholo dude. And he's all tatted and he's singing about dark stuff. Yeah, here. <laughs> I mean, good. It's, it's solid goth, dude. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I got me to thinking. I mean, here's a dude from Mexico. Like I said, he comes to Los Angeles. He joins a gang. Growing up, this guy's a year older than me. So growing up in the same era I did of listening to like electronic music, you know, New Order, Joy Division, Bauhaus, all these cool ass bands. But he's like a hard ass gangbanger. And so he's all tatted. He's got that thing. But at the same time. He likes goth music. So what does he do? He grows up and he becomes cholo goth. And the cholos make fun of him because he's not, quote, hard enough, right? And the goths are like, what, dude? You're not goth. You're a fucking gangbanger. So imagine this poor guy, the amount of ridicule that he gets for just being and liking what he likes and does. But he doesn't give a fuck and he just keeps putting out stuff and, and he's so, it's just so inspiring. You know what I mean? Like you think you're an outcast? You think that uh, nobody understands what you're doing? Try being cholo goth. That probably, talk about uh, an outlier. Talk about two cultures that generally don't go great together, right? I mean, it's bananas that this guy is like doing it, but he's doing it. Excuse me, he's putting it out there. And it's, uh, 
I like it. I'm I'm down, dude. I follow him on the gram. My mom was checking out what prayers is up to, seeing if his nails are getting pointier. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's inspiring, man. You think you're an outcast? Holy shit, you ain't cholo goth. That's the the outcast supreme of society. Holy crap! But uh, but look, he's 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 fighting the fight, man. Good for him. So I uh, was watching the Olympics uh, this past week. I'm officially my parents because I th- I feel like that's something my parents did growing up, like. The Olympics are on. Yeah, I'm, of course, in my house. The Olympics are on. Uh, very exciting. We see if Hungary is going to win something. That's all. Or, or Canada, because we lived in both countries, right? So we would root for Canada, Hungary, uh, and the United States, obviously. But it's like, uh, you know, growing up in a time where there's a total of five channels. Boy, when those Olympics came on in the summer and in the winter, it was like... We're going to fucking buckle down. We're going to watch good four or five hours of this shit every night. And yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I run, I was just having a, I was remembering the very first time I got high was actually, uh, during the 1984 Olympics. Uh, you're saying to yourself, Christina, that sounds, wait a minute. You're, you're born in 76, 1984. That according to your, my math, you're like eight. Yeah. I was eight years old. And um, I, I lived in an apartment complex with my mom, and uh, there was a pool party going on. This is Summer Olympics, 1984, and there's a pool party, and this lady, who coincidentally my dad was banging in our building, so that's kind of a nice, just to kind of sprinkle on some flavors, some seasoning on the story. Uh, this lady had like a teenage son, and she thought it was a good idea to bring pot brownies to a public swimming pool. Public meaning in the apartment complex we lived in. Um, anybody you know could show up who lived there and swim, obviously. So uh, she brought a plate of pot brownies, and you know, being as uh, I'm as eight years old, you see some brownies, and that's like five alarm crazy. Like, oh shit. I got some brownies and I, you know, you know how kids are. They fucking throw one in their mouth. You throw that whole brick in your mouth, chew it in about five seconds and then run into the pool. And I did that about 10 times before this fucking dumb lady turns to my mother uh, and says to her, Hey, you may not want to let your daughter have any more of those brownies because they're pot brownies. Okay. Right. So uh, I remember my mom pulling me aside to be like, you can't have any more of those. And uh, my eight-year-old brain was so upset. Like, what? Like, I had already had about three, I think, three or four. And I was so upset. Like, what the fuck, bitch? You know, I got my brownie on. Uh, So she took me home and I uh, luckily didn't trip out too much. I just fell asleep on the couch watching the opening ceremonies to the 1984 Summer Olympics. There you go. And I was laying on my, I was was watching it and I couldn't follow it and I passed out and I woke up and this is probably one of the best memories I have of my mother. One of the few times that she was genuinely kind and and empathetic and non-threatening and was like a welcomed presence in my world. I woke up and she had made me a plate of chicken wings, of barbecued chicken wings. And I was so goddamn hungry. I woke up ravenous 
and I ate those fucking wings and they were the, and to this day I have fond memories of how good those chicken wings taste. And I don't even know. I wish I knew the name of the barbecue sauce she used on those in the eighties. But, uh, yeah, good times reminds me of a, you know, just your average normal childhood being raised by a mentally ill, uh, divorced mother and a dad who had sex with the lady in the building that made pop brownies. So there you go. Why are you a comedian, Christina? You seem so nice. You seem so normal. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> ah, the good times. I don't know. But I was watching, um, I don't know if you saw the nip slip between the French ice dancers which they're no, I don't know why they don't call them. They're not, they're not figure skaters anymore. They're ice dancers. The ice dancer lady had on one of the, I mean, I knew it when she fucking skated out there. I was like, that outfit is not good for performing because it's got tassels and fucking, it looked like feathers and all kinds of shit going on. I'm like, that's going to snag. That's gonna, it's no good as a performer. I'm telling you, I look at stuff like that. Cause when you're out and you're, it's a high stakes event. You want all your shit to be tight on you. You want everything to fit. You want everything ironed. You want everything, you know, perfect, perfect, perfect. And uh, so her her wardrobe, whatever. This is so stupid. The media calls it a wardrobe malfunction. Her her neck thing came undone, and her fucking nip nip came out in front of everybody. Now I didn't see the nip nip at the time, but I did see her uh, her top come off, kind of come down. And I thought, oh, this poor woman, like this is, this is the ultimate nightmare as a performer, as somebody who, you know, she's trained, what, 20 years with this guy, her partner, and your fucking wardrobe fails you. Like of all the things to go wrong, the one thing that should have been certain has just gone awry. And I thought, I mean, talk about the panic inside of that poor woman's um, brain, but you watch her and the composure and the absolute focus. And if you imagine that level of complete, total muscle memory, right, of the routine, of the professionalism, of the years of just drilling that shit, right? I mean, talk about mental discipline and focus that she was able to like, oh, yeah, well, I guess my tits out are on the world. It's not just America. It's the world is seeing my tit, given she's French. So she probably was like, eh, no big deal. But uh, it's pretty crazy. That's a pretty horrible thing. Oh, geez. Hold on. Sorry, I checked my recording here. Something was weird. But uh, but watching her transcend that moment and kind of push through and go to the next thing. And they did well. They actually scored fairly well. And then she came back the following night and they killed it too, the, these Frenchies. But man, I mean, you watch the discipline of these athletes and it's so inspiring. And and I used to think the Winter Olympics were fucking boring, right? I mean, it used to just be a bunch of French guys in tight pants skiing, uh, jumping off shit. And now there's these 17 year old girls just shredding and doing like, it looks like street skating, but uh, with snowboards. I mean, I know I sound like I'm a thousand years old, but I had no idea that the winter Olympics had gone, gotten interesting. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I was watching snowboarding and uh, they're all cute little blonde girls that snowboard apparently. And Sean White is banging every single one of them because I follow him on Instagram and I see him with his arm around like every cute 17 year old girl there. Uh, so there's, I was watching this 17, fucking first of all, 17. Think about that. You're 17 years old. 
Your body is still in puberty. You're not even an adult. You're a fucking teenager and you're at the Olympics. I mean, I cannot think of anything more stressful or, um, I, I mean, like, there. how could you even do such a thing at 17? I, I, what was I doing? I had my thumb in my cooch and I was smoking cigarettes and listening to Bauhaus and like drinking. What the fuck are, I mean, you know what I mean? Drinking in parking lots and sneaking into goth clubs. Like that's the, that was my, my scope. But these bitches have been training for the Olympics since they were four, three. And the mothers are these like, you know, stage mom types that are like, well, I saw that she had an aptitude for snowboarding. And so we dedicated our lives to making her a snowboarder. Like who, what, why? I don't know. So bananas. So this cute little blonde chick was just shredding on the snowboard and I'm listening to the commentators, which I think the commentators are probably the best part of the Olympics. Cause, uh, especially for the, the skating stuff, <laughs> cause they say the stupidest shit. They're like, now that was a, that was the quite a twizzle. Did you see the twizzle and the sow cow on these two? And that's teamwork. And you see the toe pointing and the dance and you're like, Oh my God, they're so cute. And Johnny Weir, was on television just looking gayer than ever. I mean, if there was like a poster boy for gayness, it's Johnny fucking Weir with like five blue stripes in his hair and he had on like a shiny black kimono and his nails are crazy. You're like, bro, bro, like we all know. Like there's no, nobody doesn't know that you're gay, bro. Like you can, you don't need to convince anybody. We got it. (laughs) But it is a welcome I like seeing how gay he is on um, network television. I think it's so funny that America now accepts that, and I love it. I fucking love it that people, like the old lady at home, has to be like, is that boy queer? Yes, he's so gay, Grandma. He's so gay. That guy pounds other dudes in their dick holes and their buttholes and they grind dicks and then they take a break to read Oscar Wilde by the fire and then they fucking suck dicks all day. And it's just wonderful that now we live in a time where Johnny Weir can be that gay. And you're like, there he is, dude. There he is doing it. Uh, So the snowboarder chick, she was doing her thing and the commentator goes, now if you watch how they uh, turn, right? Like they're in the air, they jump up or off a ramp, they go up a ramp and then they turn. He goes, wherever the head goes, the body follows. And it's the same in skateboarding. Like you always see these dudes doing like the, the turns and shit up in the air. And you're like, well, how do they do that? Apparently wherever your head goes, the body follows. And I think I've learned that one time snowboarding, the one time I snowboarded, I'm terrible at it. But, uh, but I thought, wow, isn't that kind of an interesting metaphor for everything, right? Where your head goes, the body follows. And But I take that to mean where your mind goes, you got to get your mind right and everything else follows suit, right? Because if your fucking mind is wrong and your thoughts are all jumbled and you're not controlling those thoughts, boy, oh boy, your body will follow and you will make some catastrophic uh, mistakes. You will sabotage. You will do all kinds of shit. So watch the watch the head and see where that thing goes. Where the head takes you, man. Pretty fucking gnarly stuff. Oh. So there you go. What else have I got for you? Now I watched Winston Churchill movie last night. I love. I'm a bit of an Anglophile, and I like uh, I like British stuff. Churchill going to war with the uh, the Germans, of course. If you haven't seen that movie, I loved it. 
I loved it because it's kind of harkens back to a time when there was a sense of right and wrong and, uh, and it's pretty direct, you know, Hitler was fucking up all of Europe, which is so crazy to think about now that a guy would just like take over Europe, you know, take over countries, just completely just fucking, oof, taking them, taking them. And they were scared and people would just lay down and let them do it. And old Churchy would, uh, stood up for that. And there are people, chicken shits, other chicken shits in parliament. We should have a peace treaty. It's like, well, no, like, you know, Hitler's Hitler. He's not going to fucking do a peace treaty. Neither is Mussolini. He's not going to help you. These guys are psychos, man. Psychos. And I think that's something that's kind of lost in today's society. Uh, we're so afraid of calling a fucking psycho a psycho. Or if we do, it's, we do it so frequently that it's like, it's old hat, you know? Uh, we, we don't know how to identify them anymore because we've, uh, we've allowed everyone to have a, a special voice and a special place. Everybody gets uh, a fair shake now. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm not advocating that we discriminate everybody, but look, there's a fucking level where you're like this, this motherfucker's crazy. Okay. We got to stop listening to him or her or whatever. We have to stop congratulating everybody on every weird thing they are and celebrating every weird fucking thing they are and do because some people are just not good eggs, not good apples, if you know what I'm saying. There's a lot of rotten apples out there. And why not call a rotten apple a rotten apple? That, that's what bothers me, I think, today is that, you know, Winston Churchill couldn't really exist and operate the way he did uh, because people are fucking pussies about it. Uh, well, well, how do you know Hitler's... Bad, necessarily bad. He may have had a bad childhood. Uh, you know, his cultural, he's a German and this and that. I think people would uh, treat him with a lot more empathy now instead of just being like, nope, this guy's a fucking asshole. Let's 86 him next. Yeah, because you do realize there are just some creepers in the world that should not be given an inch. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get into some... <laughs> Let's get into uh, to some emails. Just look at the fucking bums you hang around with. Oh, oh no, we're going to listen to Bauhaus again. I love when my iTunes starts up. Why is it fucking lake like that? I don't know. Okay. Uh, let's start with this. this. This came in from Julie. I love this question. Hey, Mommy. I'm a 30-something daughter of a brutal mother who I believe has BPD, a narcissistic personality disorder. Unlike her, I pride myself on being a very aware person. I'm in therapy. I generally say sorry too much. I'm constantly looking to improve myself. However, like her, I've developed some of my mom's fucked up communication style during conflict with my husband, which I hate about myself and I'm finding hard to shake. My husband and I have very different communication styles to begin with. I'm very verbal and he's probably, and he'd probably say over Sherry, well, he's somewhat emotionally numb and uncomfortable talking about things. He's also a person of few words. When we really get caught up, he'll tell me I make him feel like a piece of shit. The thing is, I never say that. I wouldn't ever. But I know I must infer it with my tone and facial expressions and volume. It feels terrible to know this because I know exactly how he feels. Being the recipient of my mom's emotional abuse, I know how it feels to believe that I suck at my core and that I'm stupid and should be ashamed. I grew up in a house 
where there's loudness and yelling and flogging constantly, it was normal to be berated over nothing that matters. I'm not exactly doing that, but I can't help but ask myself, am I destined to become my mother? It's odd because I'm just like her in some ways, but then I've got a ton of empathy. I'm oversensitive and can cry at the drop of a hat, whereas she has the serial killer sociopath level sternness. Did I go? Did you go through any of this personally? If not exactly this, could you share whether something that mirrored your mother inside yourself scared you and how you were able to overcome it? I've always wanted to be a mom, and I know that I'll be really nurturing based on what I didn't get in my parents. But what if my kid pisses me off and I completely lose my shit and make them feel stupid and flogged? Do you get scared about that with Ellis? Help me get my life. Okay. Love, Julie. Uh, wow, Julie. Yeah. So look, you're 30 some, that's good. You're still young and you're pretty aware of what's happening, right? It's funny that you got with a dude who's kind of emotionally numb, right? I think we tend to do that when we're raised in environments that are uh, overly emotional. (laughs) I tend to gravitate towards very mellow people. Uh, I don't like a lot of drama in my personal life either. So I understand that. Uh, I mean, look, again, am I a licensed therapist? No. I hope you're in therapy. Yes, you are in therapy. So good, 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 good. Number one, get in therapy, man. That's the first thing. And this is the whole point of this fucking podcast. Get your life. Just be called get into therapy. Uh, Are you going to have some stuff from your messed up mommy? Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I think so. I don't know. I mean... Yeah, you. It's only because, and here's. I mean, here's. I think why. Just because that's the template for communication that you were given. That's the template for emotional landscape, right? So, part of the the, the work you do in, in therapy is to grieve that template because it's wrong and it's not helping you, and then recreate a healthier one. That's kind of the goal of therapy: is to reprogram those horrible thoughts and. Uh, and uh, try to be more compassionate towards yourself and your spouse and others and all this shit, right? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but are you destined to become her? No. In fact, I would say that's one of the big things I've learned in therapy over the years is that you're not your mother. And that's our biggest fear when we grow up with shitty mothers or unloving mothers is that you're going to become your mother or that you you are your mother. And that's like I said, a big part of the job of therapy is to go, oh, I'm not my parents. I'm not my mom. I'm not my dad. Uh, I don't have to do things the way they did. And uh, yeah, for, for partially for me, there's a huge overcorrection that happened in the beginning when I became a parent because I so badly do not want to be my mom that in the beginning I did stuff totally opposite of her, right? But then that's not right either because then that's too permissive or too too whatever. Um, so you're just going to have to, I think, play with it, figure out what doesn't work for you and your husband and what's not working for you emotionally to say and do to people. And uh, I found that generally, generally when I have a huge reaction to something, it's because it's not about me. It's a mom issue. It's like deep, 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 deep down. You know, like someone does something and I'm really overreactive and I'm just fucking stewing in it and I want to have a big explosive reaction. That's when I stop and I think and I go, okay, wait a minute. This probably uh, isn't about today. This is probably something in the vaults. And uh, 
and I better really watch how I'm speaking right now to whoever it is I'm speaking with. I just tend to pause and I stop myself from talking, honestly. Because <laughs> I think those scripts, like, you, no, you're not destined to be your mom, number one. You're not. Uh, and the fact that you're even cognizant of the fact that you have empathy and that you're not like her is... Narcissists don't have these questions is what I'm trying to tell you. So first of all, let's start there. <laughs> Narcissists don't ask things like, I hope I'm not being an asshole to other people or, you know... I hope I'm being empathetic and kind. Trust me. You wouldn't even be wondering this shit if you really truly were uh, narcissistic or BPD. Uh, and I can also tell you by your the way you write, you're not BPD because I get lots of emails from borderline people and I can tell immediately uh, who is a borderline just because just how they talk. I'm very familiar with it is what I'm saying. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying I'm extremely familiar with how they think. So I know very intimately. Uh, so I wouldn't worry about that. And also because you're not blaming your husband, a narcissist would write in and go, why is my husband so stupid? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you're unfortunately kind of, kind of, uh, challenged with this thing of, of undoing the stuff that was given to you. And it's tangly and it's, uh, you're going to backslide and you're going to have great times where you nail it and times where you don't. And, the key is to not flog yourself when you don't nail it, right? Because, yeah, we're used to being torn down. That's what the borderline mom, at least some of them, the narcissistic parent, they like to do. I mean, uh, there was this great interview I heard of this woman who said, my mother wasn't happy until I cried, right? My mother wasn't satisfied until I cried, and then she would back off, which how many of us had psycho parents that did the same shit, uh, I watched the Shaws of Sunset. I fucking love that show. And Mercedes, Mercedes Javid, she, I think, has a borderline mom, definitely narcissistic mom. Uh, and if you watch that mom, she will dig and dig and dig at MJ until she cries. And then the mom will literally smile and back off. Like in the last episode I watched, they were in a car and she was just like, why don't you just pull over until I can walk myself? It's too cold outside. And Mercedes just bursts in tears and the mom smiles and stops talking. <laughs> I was like, how horrible is that? And uh, yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible. Uh, but uh, it's so possible to to reprogram your brain and reprogram your thoughts and and learn how to speak to people more with more kindness. And I, uh, I, you know, every now and then do fall into a, a wormhole of past stuff. And I, here's what I do literally when I feel myself getting very reactive and knowing that this isn't me and this is mom, or this is a, a deep thing for me. This isn't about the dishes right now or about whatever bullshit I'm fighting about is I, uh, I literally, I literally say, uh, help me see love here. Like in my brain, I pray kind of, I guess it's a prayer, uh, to, to let me see the love in the situation. Kind of, kind of go Marianne Williamson on it. If you like her, she's pretty great about this stuff where you, you know that you're in your stuff. So you want to get out of your stuff. You want to get out of the looping that you're, you're fucking fixating on. And we do that by what she says, praying for a miracle. So what's a miracle? She just says it's a shift in perception, which I kind of like that. I, I like that one. Although technically, 
As a philosophy major, a miracle is a break in the laws of nature. So that would be an inaccurate interpretation of the word miracle. However, in spiritual uh, psycho, psychological help, I like this idea. I pray for a miracle. I pray for a shift in perception. When I know that I'm in something, I will stop myself from fucking speaking. So stop talking to your husband immediately. When you feel like some horrible stuff is going to come out of your mouth, stop yourself, excuse yourself, and get your fucking mind right. Because, right, where the head goes, the body follows. <laughs> so just say, look, this is about me right now. This is not about you. And I always like to say that if I ever have a, a fight, with somebody like this is just how I feel. This is not. This is not attack on you. Uh, this is just what I'm doing. This is my crazy thoughts. Um, express yourself and then get out. Get out. Don't harp on it. Don't fucking don't get out. And then pray for a miracle, a shift in perception. Pray for. I I in my head I go. You know what? I know there's another way to see this right now. I'm so sick. I'm so uh, in this. I can't see another way out yet but I'm willing to hear an answer. I'm willing to find what that could be. And if you open yourself to the possibility of another way of thinking, um, it usually always comes. That's kind of the cool part is when you just ask for the help in your, in your mind, psychologically, like mind, God, whoever it is, Yahweh, Krishna, uh, I need I need another way of seeing this right now because my brain is so it's looping. It's not, it's not helping me find the way out. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in this maze. Uh, you actually find help. It's kind of cool that way. Oh shit. Hold on. My fucking rat guy's here. Sorry. The rat guy came. We have a, we have rats. That's one of the fun parts of home ownership is you get uh, rats and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, bugs and spiders and shit, and you got to pay to get rid of them. But uh, what the fuck was I talking about? Right, yeah, you know, you're sowing your wounds when you're fighting with people. That's why it's so dangerous um, saying crazy shit. Sometimes, you know what, though? Sometimes you can't help it. Now, with my kiddo, I'm, like, real cognizant of that stuff. Um, I generally don't. Uh, Ironically, I really don't have... Because I, I, I see that he's vulnerable and he's just two years old. And for some reason, I'm able to really separate him from his actions and be like, well, he's fucking two. You know what I mean? Um, and I've had people tell me before, well, you're just going to hit your kid. You're going to feel like you want to hit your kid. And I'm like, you know what? So far, I haven't wanted to hit my child. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just... Uh, I mean, are there times when his crying makes me want to fucking run for the hills and I get all crazy inside? Yeah, but I don't generally lash out at him. I don't. I just don't. I, but I'm not a big lasher outer at people. I think I've over the years, and that's only because I've got a few years on you, my love, Julie, of uh, having done that in the past, and it just hasn't worked out for me. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty under control at this point, I think. Oh my God. Yeah, because it's hard to take back shitty words, especially in a marriage, you know. It's like, ooh, it's tough. It's tough. You got to be real careful what you say to folks, man. You can't take it back. People remember that kind of stuff. It's terrible. It's terrible. Okay. Anyways, good luck, Julie. Stay in therapy. Fight the good fight. You're trying to break, uh, you know, trauma. 
just know that it's always a struggle. Those of us that take on the burden, I will say, the fucking horrendous task of undoing the shit that you grew up in, uh, you know, it's tough. It's not easy. And, uh, and it's, it sucks that you have to do it quite honestly. And I, I commend you for even making a valiant effort because a lot of people just say, fuck it. So what? I'm just going to drink. I'm just going to do drugs or I'm going to medicate. I'm going to numb out. I'm not going to deal with my problems. And then guess what? They have kids that are messed up too. And it continues and the cycle continues. So good for you, bitch fix your life, get your life, stop the cycle of, of abuse. Cause really that's all that is, right? People choosing to be conscious or choosing not to choosing to be asleep, to live in the matrix or, uh, you know, get your mind right, get your life right, change it. You don't like it, change it. I I can't stand it when I hear people just complaining about their shitty families. Like, well, what are you going to do about it now? Now, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Meow, meow, meow. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Mommy. I'm a senior in college, and I don't know what the hell I really want to do with my life. You're in college. Okay. From junior year of high school to junior year of college, I was in a deep, dark depression that really tainted my development as an individual. I have come out of it recently, stronger and more confident than ever, but lacking critical experience in the day-to-day. I would not say I'm socially anxious anymore, but because of years of social anxiety, I don't know how to begin and maintain relationships with people. I'm a great friend to everyone while I'm with them, but when we are apart, I just allow myself (coughs) to drop off the map because I don't know how to keep engaging, and even more so for romantic relationships. I can't seem to maintain structure because I don't have the momentum to begin with, including with motivation and goals. It even feels like I'm less prepared and capable of dealing with life itself than those around me, even if they are years younger than me. I guess my question is, how do I move forward? Acting like I have the experience needed to become a functional adult when I know I'm likely delayed several years. I've got a good head on my shoulders and I'm willing to put the work in, but I just don't know where to start. Thanks, Jeans. M. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't know. Fuck. I mean, here's the, I would tell you what, uh, I, I think I was depressed those exact same years, bro. <laughs> yeah. Junior year of high school to junior year of college. Oh yeah. I mean, I would say I would venture that my depression began. Yeah. Like freshman year. Oh, so dark, so dark. And then probably by junior year of college. No, probably by senior year, I was finally out of it, but that's a long road. I mean, I was seriously goth and heavy for many depressed years. Uh, and okay. How, how are you going to like experience to become a functional adult? Yeah. Look, you're, you're a little, you know, you got issues. Number one, what am I going to tell you? get your life, get into therapy. Number fucking one. Cause I can't tell you how to, how to fix everything. I wish I could. I really do. Uh, well, what do you want to become? I mean, are you talking about career stuff or just people and stuff? Listen, Mace, uh, M, M, <laughs> sorry, I'm such a dick. Uh, you feel like you're a fuck up. It sounds like you got a little bit of a fear that because you were depressed, you're an outcast and you're a cholo goth. If you know what I'm saying? Uh, and I, I think that this, unfortunately, it just needs to be more trial and error. You just got to put yourself out there and get your balls kicked in. And you have to be able to tolerate getting your balls kicked in a few more times. 
Uh, if you don't know how to maintain friendships, I think now it's kind of easier than ever because you don't actually have to talk to people a lot. Texting is a great way to keep relationships afloat that, you know, you don't see people every day, but text them a silly uh, meme that you found, right? A fucking llama whispering rap lyrics or, you you know, whatever piece of shit emoji that you've learned to make dance, laser beam, whatever. There's those things to keep people connected to you. I know you're saying you feel like a freakazoid, right? You feel like a fucking loser. You feel like an outcast. And that's normal too. I mean, because you've been in a funk for so many years, but you really got to go see a shrink to really help you with all this stuff. Um, But yeah, you know, social anxiety and anxiety about the future, all very normal at your age. I don't think there's anybody who's ever really got it together at that point kind of comes with the territory of being close to graduating from college. Um, pretty normal. I mean, I remember shopping for a graduation dress and crying. I was like, I don't want to leave the ivory tower of academia. I love it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why people are so excited to leave college. I was like, this is as good as it gets, you guys. Crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you just have to kind of put one foot in front of the other kiddo and fail and try and, and adapt. Have you ever, what book is it? Fuck. Malcolm Gladwell's book, 10,000 hours of practice. Okay. Blink. Outliers. Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell wrote some really entertaining, great books about successful people called Outliers. Um, and in it, he discusses the idea of meaningful practice meaningful practice, not just practice for practice sake. Talk about practice, meaningful practice. Um, and what does that mean? Well, that means when you try something, for instance, friendships, communications, etc., and you fail at them rather than dwell on the failure aspect on the, Oh shit, I did this. I'm such an asshole. Oh, I'm just a loser. I'm always going to be depressed. I'm always going to be a fucking freak. Everyone knows I'm crazy. Blah, 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 blah. You just go, well, what can I do to improve it next time, right? It's kind of a reframing and a reshaping of life in general. And I feel like meaningful practice is the root of all change and all good in the world. And I feel like, I mean, as a comic, I've watched people practice stand-up, <coughs> excuse me, but not meaningfully, meaning they don't adapt and correct what went wrong in the last set. And uh, now as a comedian, I'm very, I think, adept at, Hey, I know what happened at that last set. It's a word. I didn't choose this word. I'd use that word. It's a timing thing. I'm going to correct it. And that's how it's going to be. It's going to be fixed rather than go, Oh, that joke didn't work. I'm a piece of shit. My mom's right. My daddy's right. I'm depressed. I'm a fucking loser. Reinforcing the negative side of your force. You're going to start reinforcing the positive side of your force is what I'm trying to say. Um, You can't avoid life. You can't avoid the dings of life. You can't avoid... Uh, fucking up social interactions, fucking up job interviews, fucking up jobs, fucking up career choices. But here's the good news. You're young. You're uh, you're not behind, boo-boo. You just had a hiccup. Some Something happened to you. You're traumatized and you're depressed or it could be chemical. So you really need to get into treatment to figure out why you were so depressed for so long, first of all. And what, if you don't do that, your whole life is going to be fucked. I'm just letting you know. Seriously. And, you know, it's really hard to correct your own thinking when your thinking is flawed. You need to get into therapy. So 
Get your mind right. And then go from there. You will, you will figure things out. You're young. You can fuck up a decade. You can fuck up your 20s and be just fine. That's why they're there. 20s are there to fuck up. 30s are there to correct the fuck ups. <laughs> and then by your 40s, you better have gotten your life. Oh my goodness. You've seen those fools that haven't. You don't want to do that shit. So there you go, M. You've got the world at your feet and it's terrifying. It's very scary. And I, I'm sorry in that way. But get, get your life... Get it shit together and, and try to move forward positively. And you're going to fail. You're going to fuck things up. It's okay. That's why you're young. That's why you're doing it. You're doing it now. So you learn in your 20s. And you can become a master in your 30s. And by the time you're 40, you can be perfect like me. It's going to work out. Everything's going to be great. <laughs> right? Okay. Here's a practical one. I like this one. God, and this one I can actually help you with. Holy shit. This one comes from Diane. Hi, mommy. I'm chronically late and I hate it. I consistently feel shame. It's something that I've developed as far back as I can remember. I'll be 31 in April and I'm only just now researching this terrible destructive habit and how to overcome lateness. I wish the punctual folks could understand how difficult of a habit it is to break and how deep it runs. My parents were always late to pick me up. Beginning in preschool, I'd sit in the office because it wasn't safe for a four-year-old to be on the sidewalk waiting. Wow. I hated waiting around, yet here we are. They did not do this with my brother or sister. I have a very rare opportunity to be incredibly successful at my new job. Historically, I've really fucked myself over by being late all the time. I don't know how to describe it, only that it's miserable. I cannot risk this. I love my new workplace and my coworkers. I'm incredibly grateful, but still cannot seem to sort my goddamn life out. I love to hear your thoughts about it. All right, I'll tell you. I mean, I can fucking tell you. I know why you're doing it because it's a trauma, right? You're fucking, as a four-year-old, this was done to you. It's terrible. It saddened you. And now you're recreating the same shit in your adult life. Why? I don't know. Dr. Drew and I have had this discussion, uh, not on microphone, but one time we were talking about why people recreate trauma. And that is exactly what you're doing, right? You you were ignored. By the way, it's interesting you mentioned picking up kids from school because I am a stickler about picking my son up on time for the exact same reason of what you're describing is that I hated daycare. I hated fucking waiting for my parents. I hated when they were late. It made, it made me feel very unwanted, very unloved, uh, very scared. Who knows when mom's coming back, blah, 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 blah. So all that stuff to a little kid is really fucking important to know when you're coming and going is really important to children. And to have that messed with for a four-year-old, that's some deep wiring, dude. That's like... That that's you know, are mommy and daddy coming back? When are they coming back? Your whole world at four is mommy and daddy coming and going in, in our little world, right? Because you trust them. And that's a break in trust. And so that's that's a pretty big traumatic event. <laughs> so again, I'm gonna say it. What do you need to do? Therapy, 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 therapy. Because I can't solve it. I'm not a fucking therapist, I'm a comedian, but I know a little something about therapy. <laughs> uh, mm. So I think it sounds to me like what you're doing is recreating that trauma. And again, Dr. Drew and I have talked about this off mic. Uh, he's not sure exactly 
what the what the necessity why people do it just that they do it now there's some theories that people do it to recreating trauma to somehow master it control it um you're hoping unconsciously to have a different outcome from it but you say that you feel you consistently feel shame so you're creating it to kind of punish yourself right it feels if it doesn't feel good it just feels familiar so you're recreating the exact same shit and to feel what whatever about it. Um, you need to see a cognitive behavioral therapist, I think, to, to really deal with this one because it sounds like it's, it's really an embedded sort of behavior that's not just about like, hey, I'm late every now and then. It sounds like you're really punishing yourself over this one and there's some kind of emotional link here, some kind of payoff to this behavior. Uh, that needs to be undone and, and really deconstructed by uh, an expert, which I am most certainly not. <laughs> but yeah, this this needs to be like a cognitive behavioral therapist, right? I think, I think, my goodness. Especially because the behavior is becoming self, self-sabotaging now. You have this great job that you don't want to ruin. And you're saying, I'm going to ruin this, guys. I'm going to sabotage this because at your core, you don't believe you're good enough for whatever it is you're trying to do. That's, I think, why. I don't know. I'm not a fucking therapist. Uh, But you got to get professional help on this one. Wow. That's a terrible problem. It's interesting, though. Anyways, I can help you kind of on this. My mother uh, and all her craziness was one thing, one thing she drilled into me to be the Marine that I am today about being on time. Oh, I'm very punctual. I'm exceedingly punctual to a fault, to a point where my therapist had to like kind of uh, loosen the reins on my timeliness. <laughs> Uh, so my mother was a drill sergeant about this shit. And this is a method she taught me as a kid, which is a bit regimented, but until you can get your ass into therapy, I would suggest this is practical. I don't know. I don't know if this will help you, but anybody listening, um, time organization's a big fucking deal, especially if you're a college student and kind of learn that in college. Hopefully you've learned that in high school with studying and friends and blah, blah, blah. But some of us learned it later. I mean, you know what time you got to be somewhere, right, Diane? You know what time. You got to do the math backwards. Uh, Let's say uh, 8 o'clock is your work start time. Well, how much is traffic? How long is it going to take you to get from your house to your workplace? Is it going to take, if you live in Los Angeles, an hour, at least, okay, an hour, an hour. Now, what if there's traffic on the 405? Better tack on another 20 minutes just in case. So, Put the time of travel, right, plus the just-in-case because there's always something that happens in the morning, always. (coughs) Uh, There's always something that's going to happen. Be there early. And especially for jobs, jobby jobs, the boss does not want to see you shuffle in at 8 a.m. They want to see you ready to work at the the start time, 8 a.m., 9 a.m. Not just showing up, milling around, getting your car. That's just how it is, dudes. So plan on being there early. Your start time is not 8 a.m. It is actually 7.40. Let's make it that. So you give yourself even more of a buffer. Okay. That means you got to leave your house at 6.20. Now you're, you're doing your math backwards. So how long does it take you to get ready? How long does it take you to shower? How long does it take you to eat something? Drink your coffee. Take your shit. Well, it's take another hour. So now you're up at 5.20. 
you know, and you stick to the schedule. You set an alarm, you set a backup alarm, you set another alarm so you can't sabotage yourself that way. And that's how you get somewhere on fucking time. But thing is, you're going to want to sabotage yourself because <laughs> your core belief is you're shameful. You're not a good person. Your parents didn't love you enough to pick you up on time. So timeliness is a thing. So fuck being on time. I'm not worth it. Blah, blah, whatever it is, whatever it is, some negative programming. So you need to get that negative programming out of your fucking brain in order for you to really fix this problem. Because I think that's what's going on. I'd say so. That self-sabotaging mechanism. We all do it to some extent on some stuff until you, until you don't. Until you work it out enough that you're like, oh, this is... Uh, I know comedians who won't practice a set list before being on television doing stand-up or recording specials without a set list or practicing. I know people who have blown many... I've blown many auditions, um, but not preparing. Not preparing in the past, not now. God, no, not now. But in the past, because you think, well, who cares? What's the point? Blah, blah, blah. But it's all self-sabotaging, little boo-boos. It is. It's all self-sabotaging behaviors. Anyways, good luck to you, Diane. And uh, go get go see a cognitive behavioral therapist. I think that's the right one. That sounds like the right thing to see. Um, all right. Anyways, I you know, guys, I hope I'm helpful. I... Uh, I think about you all. Email me. That's deeprowpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. I got to go do my fucking Pilates. Oh, God. Oh, what a nightmare. Can you believe I exercised five months pregnant? I never thought. Talk about a, a transformation. And when I was pregnant with my son in 2015, if somebody would have said to me, Christina, you're going to be one of these Pilates bitches doing this crazy exercise when you're pregnant with your next kid, I'd be like, no way, no fucking way. No way. Am I one of these white bitches in Pilates studios? (laughs) Now look at me. I gotta tell you, I feel, I feel great. I I barely feel pregnant. Some days I have to remind myself, uh, and then I'll have violent acid reflux. I'll just vomit in my own mouth all day. And then I go, Oh yeah, that's right. I'm pregnant. (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, email me. That's the bro podcast at gmail. Dot com. Have a fantastic week. Stay deep, bros. Get your fucking life in therapy. Oh, by the way, if you don't already know, I have a resource on my website to find uh, sliding scale therapists in your part of the United States, any state. Uh, it's on my website, that's the bro podcast at gmail.com. I believe about three or four posts now down. It was in an episode I did a while back. Just, just look through those. Find it. Find it. And, uh, and that's it. All right. Until next week, it's been Deep Bros. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is.
is the ultimate metaphor for life. And you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.